Welcome to the Sisters of Industry, a weekly podcast where a shared bloodline combined with divergent professional experiences set the stage for great conversation on doing work that matters. With Laura's global corporate experience and Jen's nonprofit startup experience, the sisters will provide you with insights that can be used to help you lead and work better starting now. We're here to make you laugh, make you think, and make you more industrious in your professional and personal life. I'm Laura, and dirty words, in my opinion, are not always those made up of four letters. I'm also very bothered by words like delayed, moist, undecided, and yard work. Yard work really gets me bothered, not the word, the actual work, if I'm being honest. I'm Jen, and I simply don't understand the vast numbers of people who don't like the word moist. It is the only description of cake at its best, and I say, let there be cake, and we will eat it too. Today, we're continuing in our entrepreneurship series with a twist. We're on a mission to give the word corporate a new reputation. So often we glorify entrepreneurship appropriately, but at the expense of corporations. Yet we all we need all kinds of businesses, just like all kinds of people. The one person operation, the growing small business, the corporation, and dare I say it, even the multinational. They each serve a purpose and corporate does not have to be bad. In fact, let's take what we've learned about entrepreneurship and talk about how to put it to use even in the crazy thing we call a corporation. Oh, Laura, today I come to live in your world and learn the things about being in a big corporation. Is it everything it's cracked up to be? Well, it depends which cracked up version you want, you're listening to, right? Well, I mean, from the seat I sit, where I've only ever been on small staffs in small organizations, it feels like corporations, you guys are just sitting out there with all of the money and resources, and it's totally easy. Oh, which is so not true because I wish um, I'm going to hearken our loyal listeners back to the episode where I talked about red tape in corporations and mm. and gave both the justification for why it's good and also why you have to be careful with it, right? Um, mm -hmm. Which takes us all the way back to that Simon Sinek book of yore that we read with Reading with the Sisters last year. But <laughs> I will tell you that I think corporations are one. There are some very beautiful things, right? And part of that is resources and structure at your disposable that makes some things easier. Those same resources and structure can also make things harder. But what I am here to tell everybody today is that corporate isn't a dirty word. I think so often we've gotten to this point where, oh, it's a corporation or, oh my gosh, you're getting eaten by the corporate machine. You're working for the man. Like, in, you know what I'm talking about, right, Jen? Yeah. People say that stuff all too readily right now. And I think 
in the spirit of the entrepreneurship that we've been discussing, what I want to talk about today is the fact that corporate doesn't have to be a big, bad monster. In fact, you can enjoy both the benefits of the structure and the resources that a corporation brings, as well as harnessing some of the things that make entrepreneurial and small business pursuits so special and applying them in a corporate environment. Because in the end, a corporation is unofficially a network of a ton of small businesses and entrepreneurs. And if you start to put the lens on that way, automatically I think you're gonna see opportunity and energy that you would not otherwise have in a corporation. So I'm a woman on a mission, can you tell? You are, I can feel your passion. I can tell this is something you care deeply about and it resonates, right? Because you you are an entrepreneur, you're a creative person in a large organization. And so if I'm hearing you correctly, you are here to right the wrong that says that in a corporate you are just a a one person in a big old machine you know sending out widgets instead you're saying you can bring all the creativity all of the ownership all of the pieces to this corporate setting and so laura that's where i want to dig in with you and i want to give you lots of room to talk about that and so let's start here when you talk about having ownership inside of a corporation what does that look like I think this is a fascinating one because a lot of people want to get out of the corporate world to own their own destiny. Now, listen, I, I, I think there's a lot to be said for the reality of that. It, I'm going to talk about being able to be an owner in a corporation or in that large business environment. Um, do you have total ownership? No. Are you setting your hours? But I would actually suggest that you're not setting your hours when you're on your own either. Like, listen, guys, yeah. at some point you got to work. Work is work. You, Jen, yeah. know that. You've talked about that. Like, at some point, you still have to clock the hours and do the time. And especially right now, I think corporations are starting to listen more to the reality of it doesn't matter if you're clocking those hours between 8 a.m. and 5 p.m. The question is, are you getting the work done that your role requires and then some, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I couldn't tell you the last time that I actually got on the phone with an employee to have a conversation about when do you start your work day and when do you finish your work day? Um, it's just not at that restrictive. Now, I realize some people are on a literal time clock and that might be different, um, but I think they're also doing that because there are other benefits, right? When you walk away from that time clock, it's over. So I think with everything down, like with every positive, there's a negative when it comes to managing the clock. In this case with ownership, what I really want to suggest is that just because you're working in a large corporation or in a, even a large business, whatever it might be, public or private, Working in a large organization does not mean that there can't be ownership, meaning that you personally or the people that work with you and for you still have the opportunity to own elements of the business. Maybe it's a project that they are given total ownership of. Here's your budget. Here's your project. Go. Maybe it's a product line where you own, a, let's pick on Hershey. I live not far from Hershey, PA. You are peanut butter cups. Go, right? Like it could be a project. It could be a product line. Maybe it's an outcome, right? We have a retention issue. Go put incentive packages in place that help improve our retention, right? People can still be given ownership and you can still take ownership. Boss, I am going to go solve this problem for you. Give me six weeks, right? Mm -hmm. That whole concept, I think we need to be careful not to lose. Don't let yourself believe the bad press of corporations that you're a mindless drone working in a cog. Does that make sense? 
It does make sense. It does make sense. You've got pieces of the puzzle that you still get to own, that you still get to be creative with, and all sorts of ways to truly feel like there's there are pieces that are yours. And I think that makes a lot of sense. Okay, so let's flip it a little bit. So there's ways to be an owner or an entrepreneur within the corporation. What are ways that you can bring entrepreneurship to the corporation in ways that make the corporation better? Well, and I think so in, in flipping that ownership, right, you need to actually give out the ownership and make sure that's clear, right? So you need to set your people up in a way that they benefit from being an owner within the corporation. And that isn't always financial. I want to be really clear that a lot of people say, well, that means profit sharing or that they get the benefit. That can be part of it, but sharing benefits could also be giving somebody the opportunity to have notoriety for having solved a problem or being part of a solution. I'll give an example that happened to me many years ago. I ran a significant project for our company. One of the benefits, the ownership benefits that I got was that when the project was done, I had the opportunity to go speak at some conferences that had nothing to do with my company, but at some conferences and talk about what that project had done for our company and how the team had been structured and what we had done. I had the opportunity to go represent it outside of our walls, right? Mm -hmm. um, I think the other things you need to do, we need to make sure that in our corporations, if you wanna bring this entrepreneurial spirit of ownership into your corporation, you've got to give people space to do it and give them space to own it. So if you're in the leadership position and you're trying to get your people to capture this ownership, this entrepreneurial spirit, you can't micromanage them. Like this is 21st, what century are we in now? This is 21st century, <laughs> 2022, do not micromanage, right? You have to actually be willing to say, you know what, here's a problem, Jim. I'm giving you six weeks, go get it, cowboy. Right, you have to be willing to do some of that in order to bring that spirit into your organization. And then to go with that, and this is a repeat topic for us, but I know it's been many episodes since I've brought it up, you have to allow some grace for when people make mistakes. Because one of the benefits of true entrepreneurship is there's no one to yell at you but yourself at the end of the day, right? You have the freedom of accountability to oneself, maybe to your family that you're you know, providing for and stuff. But theoretically speaking, you are your own boss. You know, Well, how do you create that environment in a corporation where you say, okay, I'm still gonna hold you accountable for results, but I'm gonna allow grace for mistakes to give you and giving you freedom to operate. I think those things are really important in allowing this ownership culture to take root even within a corporation. Okay, so you're telling me, you're sounding really excited here. So you're telling me that working for a corporate corporation doesn't mean you are never going to have any fun and you are just a drone. I, I think that absolutely is true. So I think like if we make point one in that we're embracing the ownership elements of entrepreneurship, I think the other thing I'd say is that being part of a corporation does not mean that you are staring straight ahead, you are wearing your muted colors <laughs> and a belt every day. You do not have to be that person. I think some, it's funny because like, listen, we've all read the Dilbert cartoon. Come on. Yes, um, I, I really do believe, listen, I'm sure there are some corporations out there that are missing the boat right now, frankly, in my opinion, they're missing the boat. And if you're in the position and you're on one of those boats and you're in the position to change it, get on it because you're behind. 
I'm sure there are some places where that kind of structure is still so built in. But I got to tell you, I work with some huge global companies. And even within them, I've seen a huge shift in the last decade in going from the suit and tie, we only put our staplers at a 90 degree angle pointed north um, from that kind of mentality to embracing the person who has bright red glasses on or, you know, if it's, you know, somebody who doesn't want to wear the tie and is wearing the sports jacket to a big meeting or heaven forbid recognizes that it's 70 degrees and humid and they're wearing a golf shirt. Right. I, I do believe that this entire misnomer about corporations and you have to be a mindless drone, it's time to push back against that. And I would even challenge some folks. I know there's someone listening here who's going, you don't get it, Laura. I have no choice. That's all they want from me. Then I have two pieces of advice and you need to pick one. Run, because if it really is like that, why are you still there, especially in this job market, frankly? Yeah. Two, and two, the other alternative that I think is more appropriate to choose is challenge yourself if you're assuming that and if you've allowed yourself to fall into that assumption, but is it really true? Mm -hmm. Like I would even suggest that there's a lot of people that sit there going, how come they get to have fun and I don't? Well, have you tried having fun? Yeah, that's a good call. Okay, that you're going to laugh, Laura, because here's what I was picturing as you were talking about this is it is the difference between the Dilbert comic suit and tie drone mentality or the 21st century Justin Timberlake suit and tie. <laughs> the song oh, yeah. Bring in the funk back to oh, the workplace. I so, love it. Anyway, hey, that was one of the, that. I do. I think before COVID, one of the last fun things we did was see Justin Timberlake together. Or was that That's true? Yeah, that was. That was such good times. Okay, Laura, one more. You've got a principle here of um, knowing when to say when. How does that apply to being an entrepreneur in a corporate setting? Well, I do think that one of the things we've heard from entrepreneurs that we've interviewed, friends that are entrepreneurs, and from your experience, Jen, one of the things that we hear is that when you do have that smaller business, you feel a greater sense of control of being able to say when stop that's enough that's all i want right that sense of control or you just know when to say when like this is all the capacity i can handle my business is sold out or i only want to work monday wednesday friday some you there's a lot of power in that being able in that control um and i think that that's something from entrepreneurship we need to be able to apply to the corporate environment you need to know when to say when and apply that principle even in a corporation um and this is where I say, so I go back in time a few years. I remember there was a point where I had, I literally had myself to the point that I had to go to the hospital because of back pain and dehydration and some other things. At And when I came back to the office, prematurely, of course, because why wouldn't I come back to the office when I was still high on painkillers? I come back to the office and my manager at the time, the member of our executive team that I worked for at that time in my career, looked at me and said, I need you to recognize that you've done this to yourself. At Ooh. no point did you say, I need help. At no point did you say, yes, but in this timeline. And he's like, listen, we should have recognized signs and helped you. And we know you've been under a lot of stress and you take a lot of personal pride in being able to do it all, right? All those kinds of things. But I also got the tough love lesson in, I never put my hand up and said, when? Yeah. 
And I think that that is something that entrepreneurship and small business teaches us. Like it's a control element. And I know some people again will say, well, Laura, I'm afraid if I say that's too much or I need help, that the response will be then we'll get somebody else who can do more. But I would really challenge again, like there is a way to do that. While we give corporate managers the rap of saying they're heartless, they're relentless, I think there's two things working in everybody's favor right now. The first is I think we've seen a very subtle revolution that went from slow to quick because of COVID in companies listening to their employees better because everything changed on a dime and flexibility was gonna was forced whether anybody liked it or not right two years ago if two years ago i can think of people that had they come in and said i need to work from home we would have said absolutely not your job cannot be done from home it's critical no and those people here we are two years later and we still haven't returned them to office because we don't need to Mm -hmm. so i think that whole you're working in an era right now with flexibility so don't be afraid to speak out loud and then second and frankly again this is an employee's market, not an employer's market. So if you have a, if you need to say your piece, say it now. Don't walk away to a better gig. Make the gig you have now better. Be, be the change, right? Like the stupid, <laughs> st- insert stupid button here, right? No, thank you. Thank you. I'm picturing every t-shirt out there in the marketplace. <laughs> right now okay that was fantastic this is a super fun episode for me because i just got to pull that energy out of laura which is clearly very present and in just a minute we're going to be back in our second segment and i get to interview yet another powerhouse in corporate america my good friend christy who works for a tiny little company called cvs so we'll be back with that just after memory lane Laura, today on Memory Lane, we are not going back to our childhood, although we are going to talk about a corporation that has existed, I don't even know how long, but was definitely around when we were kids, and it is the corporation known as Crayola. But the reason we're not going all the way back to our childhood is you developed what we could call a mild obsession with said company and their products in high school. And that ultimately even led to an opportunity for you to visit that factory. And so I would love for you to share a little bit about that because I think Crayola has to be an illustration of creativity in corporate life. Well, I think it is. And actually, one of the fascinating things I think a lot of people probably don't know about Crayola is, right, the Crayola brand name has changed ownership and moved, you know, from some folks will recognize the corporate name Binny and Smith that goes back a long way. And then even the Hallmark holding um, an association that exists in Crayola's um, story. So Crayola is a very unique entity. But one of the things I loved about it and was so impressed by when I started to get the business bug in late high school and early college is that as a corporation, they embrace creativity, not just in their customers whom they're trying to push product to that requires creativity, the crayons, the markers, the paints, et cetera, right? But also in their employees and in how they go to market. They're all about um, putting a different lens on things. They were all about 
keeping a small business feel even when they were starting to operate under larger and larger corporate structures and names. And I think that actually brought to life a lot of what we're talking about today, that they valued creativity and ownership and a brand like Crayola, that even though it ultimately was tied to other names and other holdings, it was important because it was Crayola, right? And they didn't get lost in the who owns us. They didn't get lost in the who, you know, where do we need to send equity conversation. They purely were caught up in the how do we continue to protect our brand name? How do we continue to inspire creativity in others? Um, and ultimately, in through all of that, you know, turn a profit and be an important part of what we do for our employees. And I really love that to the point that when you go um, in eastern Pennsylvania, actually, it's literally the last exit before you leave Pennsylvania into New Jersey. There is a place where you can go visit Crayola, and it is essentially three, four floors of pure creativity and fun um, for kids and adults alike. And that's what they're about. And it's a really beautiful, cool corporate thing. And I have great memories, actually, of visiting Crayola with friends. So we were those weird teenagers that were at, there without any kids um, doing some of the art projects to going and taking small kids and enjoying both from as a business person what Crayola was doing, but also the wonder for kids in seeing a front office that has crayons hanging from the ceiling, right? A very cool thing. Yeah, I love that so much. And while you were talking out of pure curiosity, I had to look and Crayola has been around as a company since 1885 yes. when Benny and his wife started this whole thing. And so when you think about the fact that this is a, a company and a, and a big one at that, I mean, it didn't start big, but it, it you know, grew into this big company. And yet still today, we go back to school shopping and only the Crayola crayons like it on the school supply list. It doesn't say bring in this pack, just a pack of crayons. It says bring in a pack of Crayola crayons because they have just continually reinvented themselves, made themselves leaders in the marketplace in creativity and passion and excitement and fun and fueling that in other people. So anyway, in our world of corporate isn't a dirty word, there's some love for Crayola. Thanks for taking us there on Memory Lane. I am here with my dear, dear friend, Christy Mecklefresh, and listeners, you will not be surprised to know that we run together. That is one of the many things that Christy and I get to share in life, and I talk about running all the time, and Christy is one of the incredible people that I get to spend that time with, but I wanted y'all to hear from Christy today because she fits in this beautiful space of working in what can only be considered a giant corporation. And in fact, Christy, this isn't even an official question, but like, how big is your company? Oh gosh. Do you even um, know? So I mean, it's one of those so ginormous. We call it an enterprise. Um, okay. And it has multiple different facets. I went to a leadership um, conference a few years ago and there was definitely parts of it that I had never even heard of. So um, yeah, I don't know. There's many different specialty parts of it. Um, the one that most everyone knows, I work for CBS, is the retail sector of pharmacy. But yeah, if you don't know my sector of CVS, um, you probably, it's probably a good thing. You're probably pretty healthy. <laughs> Yours is not the, I'm going to pick up some cold medicine from the store on the Correct. corner. Correct. 
which is what most of us know about CVS. So, okay, I love that we already learned it's so big, it's not even just a business or a corporation, it's an enterprise. And yeah. so everybody's gonna actually hear a little bit more of your story about playing in different parts of that in just a minute, but I wanna go straight to it and ask you the question, what is it like to work, not only for a big company, but to work for a big company in an industry that has a, had a ton of time in the spotlight in the last couple of years? Sure. So, um, especially in the last two years, I mean, it's an ever-changing company. Um, they have, they take strong stances in places. I've worked for CVS um, since I was 20. Um, I, let's not talk about how old I am now, but um, <laughs> I've worked for them for a long time. Um, and it definitely has changed. In the last few years, they've gone from taking a stance of no tobacco products um, in the retail stores, and um, which was a huge change for a lot of places, especially in the pharmacy world. Um, and then in the last two years with COVID, um, they were a leader in some of the testing, a leader in getting people to be immunized um, or vaccinated. Um, so it definitely has changed. There's also been a um, legality that's come along with that too, where there's been some, um, I guess, lawsuits that can come around with that as well. Um, mm -hmm. They were one of the first ones to take the stance, especially through COVID with making sure that your employees had to be vaccinated. Um, so I think, you know, commonly it is in the spotlight, um, but sometimes it's for the better. Um, we're trying to get patients to be healthier, stay at home and not in the hospital. Um, so I think that that is also a good thing that it has been in the spotlight for as well. I love that you're immediately highlighting uh an advantage of working for a company because in this series, Laura and I have been talking about just the excitement of being an entrepreneur, but wanting to make this transition to what does it look like to be entrepreneurs, even in a corporate space, because corporate doesn't have to be bad. I didn't even, I didn't even prompt you on that, but you went immediately to something I love, which is that there are good things corporations do. You're in a company large enough that it has a loud voice. It can be a leader. It can move the, the dial significantly, even if that also means you're in some hot water because <laughs> there are hot button issues in sure. culture and everything else. Well, Christy, you're the perfect person to, and I know I make you nervous when I say that, but you are the perfect person to talk to about this intersection of what it is to be small business and corporate and find your way through those different pieces because you've had different roles. So in the time that you've spent since you were 20, I will also not out you on your age. I will <laughs> reference the fact that you and I are the same age. So <laughs> I think most of our listeners know about how old I am too. So we're in that same realm, but you've been worked for this company for a long time but your role has changed. And so can you talk me through really quickly how you've moved um, both in the company and then sort of out of the company and back in? Sure, yeah, so um, I started as a pharmacy tech, um, knowing that I wanted to go to pharmacy school, so I needed some um, experience. Um, so definitely I walked into a CVS on a Sunday and said, hey, I need a job for the summer. And the pharmacist was like, yeah, sure. Never really filled out an application. And it kind of went from there. 
um, worked um, through pharmacy school as a tech, um, just needed some kind of play money. I was very fortunate that I had parents that were able to somewhat financially support me. So I just needed to get my hair done and a few other, you know, fun things through pharmacy school. So needed some money, worked um, every other weekend just to have a consistent um, money in the bank account. But they also were able to help me a little bit financially, CVS was. I got a scholarship um, that I did have to pay them back in time. So not necessarily pay back the money, but just gave them service. So they gave me um, some money throughout the years of pharmacy school. And then I paid them back for years of time. Um, of course, then was able to get a job. And at the time that I graduated pharmacy school, um, pharmacists were in very much need. Um, and there were plenty of opportunities to move different places and got sign-on bonuses. Um, but... Um, my boyfriend, then fiance, then husband, um, he was able to get a better job in the Charleston area. So we decided to stay here and there was plenty of opportunity here. So I paid CVS back my time. And then out of nowhere, an opportunity came to go to a smaller company, um, totally out of retail. Um, retail was all I knew. I knew it for four years of pharmacy school and then four years of being a pharmacist. Um, and so it was a little scary, but I was going to a company um, named Corum. Um, we were owned by a different backer at the time um, that did home IVs. Um, it was definitely a different market of retail, definitely different drugs. My drug room went from, um, I'm going to say over a thousand drugs to maybe like 40. Um, we specialize in some specialty medications um, and someone, my boss, gave me an opportunity to learn something new. Um, it was great because I went from, um, you know, going back, learning what you learned in school to relearn it. And then about uh, two years after that, um, CVS actually purchased us. Um, my partner in Quorum um, also left CVS and we didn't know what hit us. Turns out to really be a good thing. Um, CVS is a huge company. It's really not going anywhere. Um, they have wonderful benefits and we got our seniority back. So my partner and I both look like that we were hired um, about 20 years ago. Um, That's really great. great. Yeah. Yeah. And then the downfall being I started knowing patients from a computer screen rather than my patients coming to me. So Quorum is a sector of CVS that makes IV medications um, for patients in the home. So if someone is discharged from a hospital and all they need is IVs, then we would provide that to their home. We then have nurses that go into the home and help them administer it, but for the most part, patients become their own nurse at home and administer their own IVs. Mm -hmm. So um, it's really kind of neat. Um, our patients can be very sick, um, but can also be a you and me that had the unfortunate instance of stepping on a nail and getting an infection in our bloodstream and needing an IV antibiotic for six weeks. Um, so I then left um, that sector of the day-to-day -day and working with patients 
to managing multiple quorums across North and South Carolina, which is where I am now. Um, so I am no longer clinical, which I don't necessarily like. I definitely went to school to help people, but now my people are my managers that manage the, diff- the five different pharmacies in North and South Carolina. Yeah, which I, so I love that. So in the time that you've been with this company, and I think it's tremendous that they did fully honor the fact that you went to a company, they purchased the company, you know, they they kept your seniority. That's an incredible thing for lots of reasons. But you've been able to do some different things. You've gone from the direct patient interaction to a very specific drug interaction and now managing things. And again, just because these are things I know about you, but just share with our listeners, you do a fair amount of travel, um, which I'm imagining in your early retail days, you had one store that you Correct. you were yes. there, you were in that one place. And now um, one of my favorite things at the start of most weeks is anytime you're on an email that I'm sending, half the time I get the auto reply telling me where you are that week and when you'll get back to email. And so that's just really fun because I get to track you, <laughs> as, you <laughs> as you go different places. So the point of that being you found a way to do a number of different things in this corporate setting. What would you say were the major differences between those environments, between the retail and then the home and then the managerial? Like, where did you feel like you had more freedom? Where did you feel like you had more constraints? What did that look like? Um, That's an interesting question um, because I feel like, obviously, as you move up a corporate ladder, um, stress level goes up. (laughs) Um, I feel like in the retail world, I would leave my job, come home to my family and work was done. Um, now I feel like I'm always, I'm always readily available. Um, just a few weeks ago when I left to go on a cruise, um, I actually was very nervous because I all of a sudden was this protective mama leaving her babies, both Literally, I left my children, but I also left my managers. Like, they had no resource to go to. Um, They did. I mean, I have people, obviously, above me. But, um, you know, I feel like I now have way more responsibility for these five managers. I also know that if something happened to me tomorrow, you know, they would have my job posted for someone else. So I know I'm replaceable. Um, but I also feel like I do have a lot of um, responsibility in five people that are managing five pharmacies. So I see it all the way to the bottom of all of their employees as well. Um, so definitely there's the differences of stress and never letting it go. Um, but as far as um, you know, the day-to-day, I sometimes miss that. Um, I miss that little phone call that I have with um, a patient who is finally getting better or mm-hmm. a patient that we've had for 10 years. Um, but then I could go home at night and not have to worry about that either. So now I definitely feel like I have a lot more worry um, and never leaving my job. I guess I'm always there. Yeah. Well, so in many ways, and don't let me put words in your mouth, I mean, in some ways you're very much living in an entrepreneurial space at this point, even within a big company, like you have a segment, you have a group of stores and they're yours, your, your own operation 
within this bigger operation. And we've been teasing out with these conversations that there's definitely pros and cons to to that space and what you give up and also what you gain. And Absolutely. so you have a unique perspective though as well. So I'm just gonna continue to add the layers on here of why you're such a great source of wisdom and a fun person to watch do life um, as you run from all of these different places. But you have the unique perspective of being married to someone who has actually, I've, I've had the chance to interview your husband Karsten on here before, but your husband is um, the classic entrepreneur, small business owner. He owns Correct. two small businesses. You guys have experienced together in your married life what it is to take something from the ground up. And that all happened as you were living life in the midst of massive enterprise and in that, um, in that world. And so in that, you kind of have this ability to see some of both sides. So from that vantage point, how do you see you and your husband functioning differently in your professional lives? Well, we're both always working. Um, so he, um, so how we were, how we are different. Um, I feel security. Um, I definitely, like I said earlier, CVS isn't going anywhere. Um, I am the one that has the consistent paycheck. Um, I know how many weeks of vacation I have per year. I have health insurance and, um, retirement. Whereas with his entrepreneurial side of owning two businesses, um, it is strictly that. So, um, the, the paycheck is, is questionable on his side. <laughs> um, but he also, I feel like, even though I feel like I'm a mom to my five managers, he definitely is putting food on people's table more than I am. Um, his employees are, um, reliant upon him a lot more. He does have a lot more flexibility in who he hires. We have mm -hmm. definitely strict background checks, drug tests, um, things like that, where I, I feel like Carson's able to give some people second chances um, and has. And mm -hmm. as people have grown over the years, people have come to him with a um, difficult past and been able to grow in his business because he can take that second chance on a patient, on a person. Um, so our environments, you know, as far as who we employ and how we employ them are different. Um, but at the same time, we both enjoy what we do. He's the more flexible parent. He's the one that for children purposes, he's, he's taken the children to the doctor. He does more sports stuff. He, um, is the one that stays home with them when they're sick. Whereas I'm the one that, um, provides the, um, security of health insurance and some benefits that he doesn't. So, yeah. um, it's a good mix. I was gonna say that's such a quality mix that you've got that in each other. There's a there's a security element to what your job enables for his job and what his job enables for your job. And I love that and I do get to see that that function. I think part of what has been so interesting about this conversation we've been having is we all know the workforce is currently changing so much. And for a lot of people, it is leading to that itch of wanting to do something different and what if I just said no to the man and went out and did my own thing and we're teasing out the fact that there are 
pros and cons to that. And so you've talked about, you know, your career trajectory and what you experienced, what it's like seeing the other side, at least through your household and with Karsten. But can you talk just a little bit about how you see yourself, even within this giant company, finding ways to function as an entrepreneur or be that creative leader inside a corporate setting? Sure. Yeah. So I think one of the things that I've learned over the past, um, actually since January, our company has been on somewhat of a freeze um, and spending freeze. And usually one of my fun ways to um, get a team to be excited about what they're doing is to bring food to them or to do something that would be spending money. Um, Mm -hmm. And for the past couple months, we have not been able to do that. Um, my travel has been a little bit limited um, because of that. And um, so we've been um, creative in having some fun Fridays, um, albeit through email or pictures. Um, we've had, I've tried to get my teams to have like a yellow shirt day. And so it's fun to have them all come together and you know, it brings a smile to their face or they've had a hat day or we've had potlucks. Um, mm-hmm. I know through COVID potlucks sometimes weren't <laughs> the greatest, but I think we're past that. Um, and people are more willing to do that. So um, we've also, when I go to travel to those pharmacies um, in my North and South Carolina, we've tried to do something after hours where we do at least um, go out to eat and let our hair down and um, talk things other than work and get to see the real side of people Um, because so many times when you're behind the computer or you know you're in your eight to five you are just worried about the work you don't ask about their kids you don't ask about their spouses Um, or you know even where they want to be are they happy Um, so I think you know I've, I've definitely told some of my employees you know I want you to be happy I'm not always going to make you happy. And if it, if there's a time that you wake up in the morning and you go, oh my gosh, I have one more day of work. Can I actually do it? You need to start questioning. Is this really what you want to do? Mm-hmm. Um, I think in one of your podcasts, I think I've told you, Jen, that, um, you know, if money aside, would you still be doing what you are doing now mm-hmm. um, if you didn't have to rely on that paycheck? Um, Karsten and I have even asked each other that question recently, and I'm not sure that I would be, um, Mm -hmm. but I don't know what I would do differently. That's the weird point. Like, would I still be doing what I'm doing now if I didn't need a paycheck? I don't know. It's a very hard question to answer and where my passion is. And my, my passion truly is, is helping people. Um, and so even though I'm not clinically treating a patient, I hope that I'm making, Um, an impact on the employees that I do have underneath me. I think, I think that's so true. I love that you said that, Christy, because it does look different, right? There's a lot of layers now between you and the patient, but you've embraced the opportunity to feed into those five people that are then having an impact on an entire store each. And then all of the patients that are represented in that. And it's a different it's a different way, but it's its own microcosm and it's its own place for creativity. And I mean, and I love that you said it's even sometimes as simple as giving your employees permissions to wear hats, you know, and I'm just picturing this, you know, Zoom call where everybody's in this crazy (laughs) attire, which we've all done ridiculous things in the last few years. 
but recognizing the idea that if people aren't at some point having fun at work, they're not going to stay. We all have too much in of us that says, I'm not going to spend my life doing something that I don't feel has any meaning, that I don't feel has at least some enjoyment, even if it is still work and it's not always going to be fun. So I think that's fantastic. Well, Christy, you're amazing. You know, I think you're amazing. And I appreciate you taking the time to talk about that a little bit. I really want to get you to commit right now to doing this again with the sisters, except that I want to get you and Laura in a conversation together because the two of you are very similar humans and just two of my favorite high powered corporate ladies out there shaking things up. And I just think the two of you could talk for hours about the the realms that you work in and what that looks like. But thank you so much, Christy. You're awesome. And I'll let you go and get back to all of the things that you have on your plate. Well, feelings are mutual. I definitely enjoy the sisters. So y'all are, you're definitely part of my travel journey sometimes too, (laughs) and catching up on the podcast. So it's always enjoyable. I love that. Thanks, Christy. Today on Real Talk, I have a reminder to make time to read and particularly to join us in the latest Reading with the Sisters book. We are going to wrap up this entrepreneurship series with the discussion of the book, The Great Game of Business by Jack Stack. This is a business classic. It's been out there for a long time. It's experiencing a rebirth and we are here for it. In this particular book, there's a really cool opportunity to look at how to improve the business. And they're very clear that this isn't about consultants. This is about people that are owners on the floor, getting the work done, taking ownership for their business and finding ways to improve business results and further acknowledging that leaders don't have all the answers. What leaders know how to do is ask the people that do know the right questions in order to get the answers they need. So I'm really excited to take this series on entrepreneurship, talking about how we can apply that no matter where we work, and then wrapping that up with the book, The Great Game of Business by Jack Stack. If you've not gotten your copy yet, I would encourage you to order it today and get reading to be ready for this episode. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed hearing from Laura and Christy as much as I did. These are two powerhouses showing us that corporate is not a dirty word and we can bring ownership to the corporate setting. Share this with someone you know out there in corporate world that needs some encouragement to be out there and to be exciting and to take ownership of everything that's around them. We hope this episode has made you laugh, made you think, and helped you grow in your industrious life.